In the weeks that David Attenborough issued a dire warning about climate change, we're joined this week by a member of the Green Party who wants action but doesn't think there's an overnight fix. You're never going to get rid of all the pests, all the because if you do, again, you've created a vacuum and something else will fill that very quickly. If you chuck something out, you unfortunately get something else in that you don't want. We'll hear from green farmer Oliver Dowding in a moment, and later Colin Jackson will update us on potatoes. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. The world's people have spoken. Their message is clear. Time is running out. To help make change happen, the United Nations is launching the Act Now bot, helping people to discover simple everyday actions that they can make because they recognise that they too must play their part. That was Sir David Attenborough speaking last Monday at a UN summit in Poland. He's called climate change the greatest threat in a thousand years and mentioned there that United Nations Act Now bot, which basically uses social media to recommend everyday actions we could all take. For instance, using public transport instead of our cars, something that maybe is a difficulty in more rural parts. Another suggestion is to eat less meat. In a moment, we'll hear from Oliver Doubting at the Green Party. I know he has similar thoughts to those in the Act Now bot. First, last week, we heard from Chris Gedney at TH Clements. They're harvesting 165 million sprouts for our Christmas dinners, you might remember. And during that chat, we touched on the climate, uh, what with the beasts from the east that caused severe problems earlier in the year, and of course the droughts in the summer. Here's a little more from our conversation with uh, Chris Gedney and the problems extreme weather can cause. Because we've had the dry and the drought, um, it doesn't mean that all the consequences have disappeared. Um, We're still going to go through the winter with lower yields on uh, a lot of the main crops that we, uh, we, we harvest. And I would think that a lot of the crops, right the way through until next the end of next May, will still have the effects of the drought from the summer. Um, because it's not until we plant early in the spring, which is then June production, that we would get back to a normality uh, situation. It's a challenge to the business, and like I say, the climate is so challenging for us. And, um, you know, uh, in a business like this, um, you know, we are so reliant on uh, accurate weather forecasts and uh, long-term, a business like this, we just don't really want too many beasts from the east at the wrong time of the year because um, they are devastating. The one, the last one we had cost us a lot of money and a beast from the east situation at the moment, just pre-Christmas, would also cost us a lot of money and the local economy as well. The extremes of the challenge, mm. uh, the extremes of the climate are the biggest uh, agricultural challenge. Um, you know, a business like this that grows over 11,000 acres of, um, of brassicas, you know, a beast from the east situation, you can't plan it. We don't know when it's going to arrive. We've either got the beast from the east or we've got drought or, or many of the or hailstorms or, or too, much, uh, too much rain. They all have um, consequences. And I know as agriculture, we do tend to be uh, pinpointed and moaning about the weather conditions, but it's the extremes that, uh, of weather that uh, are, are the biggest challenge. The normal everyday rain and, and consequence of weather are not a problem. It's just these extremes that we seem to be getting now that um, do make a difference to, uh, to, to our financial year. <laughs> Well, that was Chris Gedney at TH Clements. Recently, I caught up with Oliver Dowding. He's the Green Party's South West Agricultural Spokesman and is himself a farmer. 
now, naturally, organic. He has strong views on where he'd like to see the industry move to to combat things such as climate change, touching on some of the points Sir David Attenborough was making last Monday and that UN acts now bot. Now, while Oliver Dowding wants change, he appreciates it won't happen overnight and indeed some of it might not happen at all. Take, for example, the future of Neelix, glyphosate. Oliver says an outright ban now just isn't the answer. Every time you ban something, nature abhors a vacuum for a start, and you've got to ban it and or change the patterns of use and make sure you've got something that's going to come in that enables people to still produce, still use their land and not end up going bust on the back of a change. And so you've got to do it carefully and sensitively. I, just, I, won't, I don't want a neonic to still exist. We've got to find ways of doing it. And there are people in this part of the world, uh, Peter Lundgren for one, who are pr- producing their crops without neonics. So let's work, learn from the best of the others and make sure that everybody has the chance to survive without them. What can be done? Well, it's down to, rot- I think, I, I'm no great expert, but it's down to rotation. It's about making an atmosphere on the farm, a, a whole nature Uh, profile that enables the predators to be there as much as the creatures you don't want so you've got to create that whole thing there so everything has its moment Uh, you're never going to get rid of all the pests all the because if you do again you've created a vacuum and something else will fill that very quickly and we've seen it in all all environments be it maritime be it land-based if you if you chuck something out you unfortunately get something else in that you don't want other areas of Green Party policy is, uh, well, changing our mindset, really, and growing crops that we're just feeding to livestock. You'd like that to end because, ideally, we should be eating those crops. Yes, if we, if we did three things. We stopped overeating. We stopped wasting the 20 to 30% of food that is produced but we never actually see, see through to being eaten. So it either goes out at some stage of the food chain. And we also stopped, eat, stopped feeding grains to livestock. If we change those three things, we could afford to have a far greater area of grassland producing grass-raised meat, which is good. I'm not against meat-eating, which some of the people are saying we should be. I'm perfectly happy with grass-reared meat. But I am against feeding grains to livestock, because that, if we stop that, we can then also have forest areas that we currently can't. So we put the carbon balance back that way. And you've got to get all this balance back in place. It may be different in this country, perhaps, to some of the things. So if we import grains from another part of the world where they're causing problems there, that's not good. We mustn't import something by substitution that's causing a problem elsewhere, palm oil being another example. That's part of the problem, though, isn't it? You know, we can make changes here, but it's still going to be going on in the other parts of the world, and we can't really influence that, can we? We can't influence necessarily what they do over there, but we can influence by what we consume. So if we overconsume, and we're coming up to that season of mass overconsumption, uh, if we stop buying presents for people that actually are going to be in the bin by the end of January, and but the credit card debt won't be, if we stop all of that excess consumption and we get a balance back in place, then, then we can start to make the change. And if everyone remembers nothing more than the fact they eat three times a day and what they consume, they can change the world far faster than they ever believe they can. Those three meals every day, consciously chosen, consciously eaten and not wasted, what a change we could have very quickly without any politician or business needing to be involved. 
talking to politicians, of course, uh, what is happening with Brexit? I mean, uh, what, what, what's the Green Party's stance on Brexit? Uh, the Green Party's stance is very much against Brexit. We would, we would do away, away with We'd have another referendum and we'd stay within the EU if we could. And a large part of that would also enable agriculture that's so heavily dependent now, particularly seasonally, on labour that isn't in this country. And we've all seen farmers who've tried to have UK-based labour and have real problems of production because they just don't have the output or they're just not available. We've got to make sure we have the people coming in to do the work and do the things we need. Now, you've also been part of the Soil Association, I believe, aren't you, involved there? I'm, healthy, I'm the trustee, yes. A trustee, and health, healthy soils is crucial to all our futures, isn't it? Yes, if, if we lose the soils we've got now, and the, the actual structure of the soils is, is struggling, we've got to keep organic matter in the soils and we've got to keep the soil food web. All the zillions of species that we've not even... We don't know a fraction of the, the species that are operating in the soil. We've got to keep them all in balance because they work together. And somebody was talking just now, we were talking about the mycelial activity, the fungal activity in, in the soil. So trees actually talk to each other much as it might sound like a Prince Charles wacky idea, they do actually talk to each other through the web of fungi in the soil. So we've got to get to realise that every action we have on something has a consequence. And so we've got to look after the soils, reinvigorate them, get the organic matter up and get them stable. And if we do that, they can hold thousands of gallons more water per acre without causing a problem. And in terms of our water management for the future, which we saw a lot of pressure on that this summer, it's crucial. And you, I saw it within the woodland side, within the apple trees. The soil the trees were deep-rooted and they were able to get the, soil, get the water. So what can, what can our farmers do then to help make that happen? No-till? Um, I'm perfectly happy with no-till. It's a great system and it's possible that we might even need to allow the use of certain chemicals that we don't intrinsically like. We've got to massage the change, make it happen over a period of time because if we make any change too rapid then we'll probably have unintended consequences. So yeah, farmers have got to no-till if they can. They've got to minimal disturb but also put organic matter back into soils and give them a give the whole soil structure a f- uh, the f- friendly n- structure and, and life forms within it that will allow it to be totally interactive and working for us and not being beaten to pieces by us. That's Oliver Dowding, a member of the Green Party and himself a farmer. On the subject of soil that he mentioned at the end there, on the programme next week I'll be discussing cover crops when we're on the monitor farm of Colin Chapel. That's next week. Back to this week and uh, our weekly catch-up with all things open field. Rebecca Pierce is here. Hello, Rebecca. Morning, Sean. Uh, so what's, uh, what's happening with open field? Well, the UK wheat market has been fairly flat this week with what appears to be a lack of fresh news to excite both the consumers and the suppliers. But the UK wheat market does close the week marginally higher with London wheat futures for both May 19 and November 19 up just over a pound a tonne on the week as of Thursday's close. And this has been reflected in the cash prices we're seeing at the farm gate, which are slightly firmer versus a week ago. Currency continues to lend support to our marketplace and with the Brexit debacle very much ongoing, I'd expect this currency volatility to continue. But as to where we will see our values come the new year and indeed come next harvest is anyone's guess. I for one am not taking any bets. There's definitely a margin opportunity on harvest 2019 wheat at current money and for those that have drilled more wheat acres than a year ago, it allows you the chance to turn uncertainty into certainty and to manage your risk if you've yet to take much cover. 
It was only this morning that I saw yet another report indicating that the UK winter wheat area is up near 5% versus a year ago, and it could be the largest we've seen for five years. In global wheat markets, we've seen both the US and European markets edge lower this week, and the latest stats from Canadian analyst StatsCan show an increase in the Canadian wheat production for Harvest 2018 versus Harvest 2017. We've also seen news that Egypt have bought yet another chunk of Russian wheat, all of which won't be helping our wheat prices. Looking at the UK barley market now, and certainly in my area in East Yorkshire, feed barley remains a strong trade into the new year, at only a slight discount to feed wheat values. And similar to the reports surrounding the UK winter wheat area, the UK winter barley area is reported to be up over 10% versus a year ago, which when coupled with the potential spring barley area yet to be planted, could result in one of the largest barley crops seen for a good few years. Like the UK wheat market, the UK oilseed rate market is lacking a real direction at the moment, with ex-farm values this side of the new year continuing to trade in a similar range to previous weeks. A weaker French market this week hasn't lent any support to our domestic prices and the latest revelations from the ongoing US and China trade war after the G20 meeting with both the presidents at the weekend were very much an anticlimax. We'll have to see what the next 90 day brings with the 90 day clock beginning ticking as of December 1st. Let's have a look at values now and feed wheat for the new year for January is trading around 166 to £172 a tonne ex the farm with a pound per tonne per month forward carry where growers could achieve between 170 and £175 a tonne for May 19. Looking ahead to next harvest and values for feed wheat are around 145 to 150 pounds a ton off the combine with 150 to 155 pounds a ton achievable for November 2019. There are still premiums for full spec group 1 milling wheat of circa 8 to 12 pounds a ton dependent on area and premiums for soft biscuit wheat so it is worth having a chat with your local open field farm trader for opportunities that may be available to you. Feed barley for January is trading around 160 to 165 pounds a ton X farm and off combine for next year around 130 to 135 pounds a ton. For malting barley premiums, spring malting barley continues to carry between a 20 to 30 pounds a ton premium with winters around 10 pounds a ton. Oilseed rate values remain relatively unchanged, with most still able to achieve around £320 a tonne X farm this side of the new year, with a pound per tonne per month forward carry. Looking ahead to next harvest, and values are circa £308 to £312 a tonne as available. A quick look at the UK bean market for those still with parcels of either feed beans or human consumption beans left on the farm, as the spread is quite impressive. Whilst feed bean parcels continue to trade around the £220 a tonne mark for early in the new year, some parcels of spring human consumption beans are achieving north of £300 a tonne at the farm gate this side of Christmas. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, that's Rebecca Pierce from Open Field. We heard last week how the weather through the year has been affecting this year's sprouts. What about our festive spuds? I'm famed, well, in my own household anyway, for my Christmas roast potatoes uh, cooked in goose fat. Mm. Uh, Will my roasties be okay this year, Colin Jackson at PJP? Yes, yes, they'll be all right. They'll be all right. Um, Roast potatoes is actually one thing. I mean, I don't know what variety you use, but uh, King Edward is always a very good one at Christmas for roast potatoes. Um, And... 
yes, there's still a reasonable amount of King Edwards around this year. They tend to be a bit small, but that doesn't matter too much for roast potatoes. I like the little crispy ones myself, I must admit. But um, So, yeah, we're all right as far as roast potatoes goes. We are struggling a little bit for chipping potatoes for sort of good size with that. Um, but otherwise, we're all right still. Well, away from Morose, how are things uh, generally then as we as we head towards the end of the year? Yeah, well, prices obviously are still maintaining quite high, so you'll have to have deep pockets for your King Edwards at Christmas. But um, but otherwise, as I say, there is still sort of reasonable availability. Um, it is starting to shorten on the best quality. So um, certain varieties, you know, for instance, the best frying gear is starting to shorten up a little bit more, and so prices are going up. Um, we're paying up towards and including £400 now for for good quality frying uh, potatoes um, and dropping off away from that. Also, you know, the very best King Edward for packing are up at that kind of level as well um, and dropping off down, depending very much on quality. There's quite a few bruising issues about it. It was obviously quite a dry harvest, um, so uh, so there is potatoes in store with some underskin bruising um, and prices are still good for those um, if people are prepared to have some handwork with them but um, really prices starting from more like around 200 250 pounds for that kind of quality are you getting more of a feeling as to how the you know the dry summer affected things now is that having a knock-on effect are you noticing that yes very much um, what we've found um, is there was a lot of old potatoes left around which did sort of uh, fill a bit of a hole over the uh, latter part of the summer. Um, so we haven't seen the big shortages which were predicted that there could have been um, because, as I say, there were still old season potatoes around. So now we've obviously moved fully over onto the, um, well, it's no longer new season, but the, the current season potatoes. Um, uh, trade isn't particularly brisk anywhere, so we are finding that... Um, the potatoes are lasting out fairly well, um, hence the reason why the, the prices have actually maintained relatively stably um, for the past sort of three months, um, with only the very best qualities sort of starting to go up slightly now. Um, what's going to tell the tale is how Europe is more than anything else. Um, Europe seems to be in a shorter situation than we are, so it may well be that we need to export potatoes or, or exports will happen from the UK um, and that will create even more of a shortage than we're seeing at the moment. And your hopes as we go into 2019? Um, as far as hopes go, um, I actually hope that the job sort of maintains around this kind of level. Um, we'll tend to get a bit of a backlash. If it goes much stronger than this, um, we will find a backlash, people not wanting to pay those prices, um, and we'll see demand get hit um, even further than it is at the moment, which always has a knock-on effect into the following season. So, um, you know, as it is, I actually would like to see um, things maintain pretty much the status quo we've got at the moment. Thank you. That's uh, Colin. Colin Jackson at PJP. On to agronomy then after a uh, wet and murky week. How are things, Sean Sparling? Yes, morning, Sean. A mucky, mucky, wet end to the week. I mean, a real cold one at the beginning. We were down to minus three Monday night into Tuesday. But by the time we've got to the end of the week, we're 14 mil of rain. I think we took on Friday morning alone. So very, very wet out there in the field. And there's not an awful lot we can do travelling wise. There's no point going out there and making a real mess in these fields unless you need to. 
Remember, it's a non-compliance to travel with a sprayer through areas of standing water anyway. So really, as far as putting BYDV sprays on, yes, I can find aphids in these fields still, but the colonies are getting no bigger. I can't find any winged aphids. So the BYDV, if it is already in those plants, there's nothing you can do about it. If the aphids have been in there for three weeks, they've already transmitted that virus. And the only way it's going to get any worse is once those aphids start giving birth to winged young which will then spread it around in the spring so as things stand at the moment we know that it takes six consecutive minus sixes to kill aphids and a prolonged period of minus eight or lower to absolutely wipe them out we're not in that sort of position at the moment they're getting no worse in the field you have to make your own choice on the soil type you've got and on a field by field basis if it's worth making a mess and personally i don't think it is similarly with that liberated top-up or the top-up of um flufenacet dff pendimethylin whatever you're using as your top-up on these herbicides for blackgrass if things aren't going to get any worse and all you're going to do is make a mess then we have soil temperatures at the moment which are now well below six we're not going to get an awful lot more emergence of blackgrass or germination of blackgrass over the course of the next two or three months perhaps that would be the right thing to do to delay that as well speak to your advisor but don't just get a ticket see a ticket spray a ticket for the sake of getting that ticket out of the chemical shed and into a book um, make decisions based upon individual fields slugs not really causing us too many problems but there are isolated pockets in some of these fields again treat them on an individual basis and an area within a field basis and just keep a record of where you've been remember to use ferrous phosphate wherever you can in conditions like this because metaldehyde is as we've said before hydrophilic it locks into water and it will find its way into the watercourse so the only other thing you can be doing at the moment on the land would be spraying your propizomide it's cold enough it's certainly damp enough but we are now seeing the first signs of these ditches starting to run and remember it is as i've said a non-compliance to travel through a field that's got standing water in it similarly the best practice for propizomide application is not when drains are actively running because that's a direct course for it to get into that water course so just monitor the field speak to your advisor make sure you're doing the right thing on the right day at the right time you have until the end of January to put propizomide on you will get an opportunity between now and then and that black grass in those fields isn't going to get an awful lot worse between now and then if it's established then you could drop in some laser or something similar into that propizomide but remember you can go in frosty conditions with propizomide if you've got fungicide trace element or other herbicide in with it you can't um so to me the right thing to do at the moment is do a bit of drainage poking about in ditches make sure this water's got somewhere to go because a lot of these ditches are just full of trash and leaves and branches from the summer that we've had and the autumn that we've had and also just spend a bit of time in the office doing your integrated pest management plan your nitrogen vulnerable zone your nvz records your nmax records and get your plans formulated for the spring um so short and sweet this week well that's the bulletin anyway i'm more tall and bitter when it comes down to what these mps are making a mess of in the house of commons as far as brexit goes so we wait with bated breath to see what disaster they impose upon us. Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. And on that uh, big vote uh, happening in Parliament this week, I'm actually in Parliament on Tuesday when the vote itself is taking place. So uh, hopefully I might have some clarity by next week's programme. We'll see. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast.
Any clarity on the weather? Well, the uh, jet stream's on the move again. It's been quite a breezy night. That wind continuing from the west, northwest, 15, gusting at 30 miles an hour. Some sunshine today, though, highs of around 9 Celsius. Clear skies for a time overnight tonight. We're looking at lows down to around 4, a frost in places tomorrow morning. The wind continuing from the west at 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then tomorrow, same as today, some cloud, but maybe some sunshine in the middle of the day. We're looking at highs of around 8, and the wind still from the west between 10 and 15 miles an hour. Staying cloudy overnight Monday into Tuesday. That keeps temperatures up a little bit. We're looking at lows of uh, 6 or 7. The wind now blowing more from the south, though, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then some early sunshine on Tuesday, but some rain to come by the end of the day. A little bit warmer because of that wind from the south at uh, 10 to 20 miles an hour. 10 will be the high on Tuesday. Quite a misty night overnight, Tuesday into Wednesday. Then clear skies, pushing temperatures down to around 4, first thing on Wednesday. The wind now more from the west-southwest again, 10, maybe gusting at 25 miles an hour for a time. And then overcast through Wednesday, but it should be dry, looking at highs of around 7. And the wind more from the southwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then at the moment, the latter end of the week, it looks like there could be some particularly heavy rain on its way and further winds. We'll uh, keep a check on that as we get uh, further into the week. We're looking at overnight lows of around 6, daytime highs of around 8 or 9 Celsius. That's the forecast. As I mentioned earlier, next week we're talking cover crops. As in France, farmers are being told to cover all bare fields. Could something similar happen here? Are cover crops one answer to achieving healthy soils? If you can't get excited about soil, because that, that you can't get excited about farm really, because it's, it's really good for growing your crops and, and uh, growing food, and it's our shop floor. You know, it, it, it's what you know, and, and, and populations need sustaining on mostly food is growing through soil, so looking after it is really key. More from the team at Allington talking healthy soils, also on the farm of Colin Chapel. He's uh, part of the AHDB Monitor Farm. Very brave, really. Uh, they do the trials, and then they let you and I onto the farms to have a look, floors and all. So we'll hear from Colin and also the AHDB team talking more about the importance of Monitor Farms and the importance of those trials which uh, Colin and others are undertaking. That's on the programme next week. Our last word this week goes where we started, really, to Sir David Attenborough uh, talking at that climate change summit in Poland last Monday. I thought it only right we give him the last word with this message to world leaders. Until next week's programme, take care. The people have spoken. Leaders of the world, you must lead the continuation of our civilizations and the natural world upon which we depend is in your hands.